Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning, North Bible family. How are you this morning? Happy New Year, Happy New Year. I hope you guys had a great holiday season. Um, We got back from California. We just hopped over uh, to see family on Christmas Eve after services and stayed there until after the first of the year, then came back and uh, enjoyed time with our family and and some lifelong friends. And uh, I tell you what, it feels good to be back here with you. It feels good to be back here with our new family in Arizona and our new home here in Arizona. So, uh, It's been a Sunday I've been looking forward to. Thanks, Aaron. It's our first Sunday of the new year, and it's just, we've got a lot going on, and we've got some exciting uh, ground to cover, I think, in the weeks to come, and so this morning is going to be really, uh, feel a little bit like a big kickoff for some of those aspects. Now, every year, typically when a year starts, we, we come with an attitude of reset, right? All right, what, what gains, what goals do I want to go into the new year with? And we think about weight and health and family goals and, you know, uh, job goals and personal development, all those things. And those are all good. But one of the areas we oftentimes neglect is our spiritual health, our soul care. And so uh, I really encourage all of us as we think about this year that's unfolding right now, we're on the threshold of this brand new year, to think about your spiritual growth plan. Like, what are you going to do this year for good soul care and to help you grow as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus? And so at North here, we're, we're really rallying around one key word for the year as a faith family. It's the word devoted. We want to increase our devotion to the Lord by increasing our devotion to His Word and to prayer. And that word devoted and this whole emphasis flows out of one Bible verse found in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 4, where we see there that we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so what does being more devoted to God look like in your life? What does being more devoted to God's Word look like in your life? What does being devoted to prayer look like in your life? And so we've been talking about a couple tools and plans that we are providing as a church and inviting you to be part of. Uh, One is a Bible reading plan. We kind of think about the whole concept of a failure to plan is planning to fail, right? So a lot of people say, I want to be in the Bible. I need to read the Bible. Well, we are providing a a Bible reading plan that we're inviting you into. Uh, Some of you are very ambitious and want to read through the whole Bible in one year, and that's a great plan. We've done it uh, lots of times as believers. But sometimes... Uh, you, you just kind of get crunched until like, I've got to read my five chapters so I, so I can just check the box. So stretching it out to two years could be more beneficial. And so this is a two-year Bible reading plan that if you, if you do it, you'll read through the whole Bible in two years, but you're not going to just blow through it and not remember anything. And on top of that, there's more interaction opportunities. So we are providing access to what's called the Bible study together. There's two forms you can grab. One is uh, there's booklets out in the resource area. You can grab one of these, and it has the Bible reading plan together. It has some extra information, and then it has the dates and the verses that you can read. And so I know for me, uh, what's good soul care for me is when I get my Bible out, and I get a reading plan, and I read through the Scriptures, and then I have a personal journal that I will take and write, maybe a verse or a portion that stands out or something God impressed on my heart as I was reading through His Word. 
And so I, I find that that to be very effective. If you've never tried that, I encourage that, journaling, all right, and uh, to capture what God has said for you. And so this is the Bible reading plan. All the verses are in here, but it also comes with an app. And we have just about 100 people in our church already on the app. Some of you can have access to the app. Uh, if you don't know how to get to the app, just email us at info at northbible.com, and we'll get you access to the app. But the app has the Bible reading verses for the day. At the end of those verses, it has some re- uh, questions to ask yourself to kind of interact with what you read. It uh, usually provides at least one challenge of how you can apply what you read. There might be some support um, content like maps or videos to help understand a little bit more about what you read. And you could do a deep dive on your own. You could spin off of that and kind of open up a cross-reference Bible and get into it. Um, Also, there's a feed of all North Bible folks that are on the app that want to interact. And so people are posting their favorite verse or there's a question or a prayer request or just a comment related to that. And already there's a lot of activity there. And so encourage you to, if, if you don't have a plan, get into that plan. It's going to be a great time to walk through this together in a way that feels like community. And so that's for the word. And for prayer, uh, we have multiple things uh, starting. One, today we're kicking off a six-week series on prayer. We'll obviously talk about that in a minute. But also inviting all of you to read this book called 21 Days of Breakthrough Prayer. Okay? And um, it's a book that I'm inviting all of us to read together. And it starts today. So today's day one, so you're not missing anything, and if people get online and find out, you know, if you're online right now and you're like, oh, I don't have the book, you know, come get it and, or order it on your own and, and uh, just jump in wherever you can. But it's us all reading and praying the same way together, and it really can help us push through, not just as individuals, but as a community, to having a greater prayer life or more robust prayer life. And so by going through a book together, as well as the Bible reading plan together, it gives us a lot of touch points to talk about. I can interact with one of you and say like, hey, remember today when we read this? Remember yesterday when uh, we were challenged in this way? It gives us more community touch points. And so if you do not have the book, 21 Days of Breakthrough Prayer, starts today. Uh, There's a couple small chapters of reading, and then the daily reading starts today. Um, dive in. We have some of these books in the Info Center. If we run out, we'll have more for you for next week. Uh, You can also order online or if you like digital books, it's called Transforming Prayer um, uh, by Jim Maxim and Kathy Maxim and Daniel Henderson. And so that's also there. We also have recommended reads. Some of you really like to do deep dives into into content that we're studying. Uh, There's a book called Transforming Prayer by a guy named Daniel Henderson, a friend of mine. Uh, This guy is to prayer what like a lot of other guys are to financial ministries. So kind of what Dave Ramsey is to financial ministry, Daniel Henderson is like to prayer. And so he's got a book called Transforming Prayer. It's just a recommended read uh, for the next few months. We'll provide other recommended reads uh, based on what we're teaching on that might be beneficial for those of you who like to really do a deeper dive on the areas that we're talking about. And so uh, we all have these opportunities to grow in prayer. And don't forget that tonight... We start something new for North Bible Church. We call it Seek Week. The Lord is really clear about how he interacts with those who seek his face. And so we've created some extra space over this next week uh, to seek God's face together. And we'll call it Seek Week because it's going to be throughout the whole week. So starting tonight, come back here at 6.30. Uh, tomorrow night, 6.30, Wednesday night, 6.30, Friday night, 6.30. And we've created a 90-minute window of worship of just like micro teaching, but more importantly, creating space for you to pray. 
and with some guided prayer. And so what tonight will look like, you show up, we're going to you know, have a couple songs to just kind of set our heart, get prepared. I'll give some framework for tonight and for the week, and then we give room for you to pray. Tonight's going to be, um, for those of you who come tonight, uh, I, I challenge all of you to come as many as you can, at least two out of the four. Uh, tonight's going to be wonderful and awkward. I'm just telling you that right now. Because we don't know how to do silence well. And we don't know how to do stillness well. And tonight we're just going to be asking the Lord, still me. And that's exactly what a lot of us need right now. Life is busy. Our minds are cluttered. Our hearts are cluttered. Our lives are cluttered. And tonight we're just going to create some space for you to be still before the Lord and give you some verses and give you some prompts to just spend time with God. So bring your Bible, bring a journal, and uh, just come prepared tonight. Tomorrow night, Wednesday night, Friday night for a seek week. That's all new. So those are some tools. I just want to frame that in before we dive in. But right now, we want to really emphasize prayer. We all want to grow when it comes to prayer. Prayer is one of the vital signs of the life of a believer. When we go to the doctor, they hook us up to a machine with all these wires, and they get all these signals, right? And the signal is your vital sign in whatever organ or system they're monitoring. And if you get a flat line, that's not good, right? If you get an occasional bump on the line, that's not good. You need a vibrant, you know, vital sign, a pulse. Well, one of the uh, ways to really assess your spiritual health and growth is what's the line look like when it comes to your prayer life. Because we all know we should be praying. We all know we, we are made by God to have communication and fellowship and connection with him, but we also all, if we're going to be honest, self-included, know we're not crushing it when it comes to prayer. Or we've reduced prayer to basically just a wish list to God. Or we only come to God when we need something or want something or we're irked with him about something, right? And then we just don't engage a lot of the other types of prayer, of confession of sin, of, of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise, or intercession deeply for other people. And so we're going to spend six weeks trying to really push on that to equip us and grow us all in the area of prayer. Our conversations with God shouldn't be rare. They shouldn't just be memorized prayers. They shouldn't just be cutesy prayers, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub type of stuff. Um, that's not really a, a, a great prayer, I would argue. Um, we don't only want to pray when we're in trouble or want something. We should not reduce our prayers just to meals and just to bedtimes. You know, all those are fine, but they're not really sufficient for a healthy, robust prayer life. Prayer should be normal, natural, conversational, and relational. Prayer should become to us a natural first response not a last resort in our lives. And so we want to be praying people, not just people who pray occasionally. And we want to be a praying church, not just a church that prays occasionally. Uh, myself, one of the leaders coming up here and giving a 60-second prayer in the beginning and a 60-second prayer at the end, that's not really the definition of a praying church. But people that come early to service, and walk this room and pray for all the chairs that you are uh, sitting in. Uh, little groups of people you see huddled up before, during, and after service, praying for someone, interceding for them. Um, those are, are observations that show you that this is a church that wants to be a praying church. But praying can be difficult. But why? 
And I just want to kind of have a little group interaction here, okay? Just got a question for you really fast. Why is prayer difficult? What makes prayer difficult for you? So I want you to take about 30 seconds or so. I actually want you to answer that question with one of your neighbors, all right? So just turn around. If you've got a you know, leapfrog, a row or two, that's fine. Find someone and answer the question, why is prayer difficult? Why is prayer difficult for you? Go. Keep talking, keep talking. If you've monopolized, give someone else a chance. You know who you are. All right, 10 seconds. All right, all right, great job sharing with each other. Let me ask you this, raise your hand. If someone shared a reason that prayer is difficult for them, was the same reason prayer is difficult for you, all right? You want to say, like, yep, same thing. Absolutely. We all feel these similar barriers. And so we're going to take the next six weeks to try to push on those obstacles that you just mentioned and grow in prayer, cultivate a stronger prayer life. Uh, that's what we're kicking off this new year with. So with that, let's pray, and then let's talk about prayer. Father, we come to you right now, and it's just, it's just an awe-inspiring understanding that we even get to talk to you. That the creator of the universe, the Holy One, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, would allow his creation, uh, who's been tainted by sin, to approach you in conversation. Father, we're so grateful that you want to spend time with us. You want conversation. You want connection. Father, we thank you that you created us with this capacity to talk to you, to long for you, to come to you. Father, we're so sorry for all the many hours of neglected prayer, neglected connection, coming to you when we need you most, coming to you in gratitude, coming to you in thanksgiving, coming to you in confession. We're so sorry for all those missed opportunities. Starting today, Father, may all of us take one step forward. May all of us grow in our ability and our desire to pray. So through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you lead us as we interact with your word today in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. amen. I want to kick off our time on prayer talking about authentic prayer. Not just prayer for the sake of prayer, but authentic prayer. Prayer is not about sounding spiritual. It's not about trying to impress others or even about my own self-conscious thoughts or feelings of how I sound when I pray. Come on, you know how it is. Sometimes like, I'm afraid to pray in public because I think I'm going to get graded. Like everybody's going to have a little mental scorecard, right? Of like, well, that prayer was only like a two. You know. Oh man, they pray good. That's like, woo, man, give them an A+. Like, like at that point in time, we're distracted. And we can be shifted off of authentic prayer. But authentic prayer is concerned more with God than people. When we're in that place when we're praying, even if we're praying for others, it's very God-centric. 
It's consumed about God. It's ideas, thoughts, feelings, conversation is consumed with God, not about other people. That's what authentic prayer is. It's more about God than it is about people. To help us grasp that idea better, we're going to be hanging out uh, this morning in Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to open up your Bibles. Um, If you don't have a Bible and you would like to have a tangible Bible, we have free Bibles at the Info Center. Just stop by and grab one. Happy New Year. It's a gift. Um, And for those of you that have Bible apps, fire up your Bible apps. And so we're going to be in Matthew 6 actually for the next uh, six weeks. And we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount actually takes place in Matthew chapter 5 all the way through 7 and and some change. But we're just going to hone in on Matthew 6 and we're going to hone in specifically on what Jesus had to say about prayer. But keep in mind, this was part of a greater message where Jesus one day, right around 30 AD, uh, pulled thousands of people who had come to hear him up onto a hillside. And he preached this message, this sermon to them that became known as the Sermon on the Mount, right? Really creative you know, uh, titling there. It was a sermon on a mountain, so it's a sermon on the mount. And uh, envision Jesus at the base of this mountain that, be, that formed a natural amphitheater. And he just spoke and pre, you know, preached and he taught. That was the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, you can still go there today. Uh, here's a photo of that. If you go today, there's a, a church. We always like to build churches on special spots. There's a church on this mountain that we believe this took place called uh, Church of the Beatitudes. It's just north of the Sea of Galilee, north above Capernaum on this hill. And that's the spot they believe that took place. And so just envision being on this mountainside in a mass of people around you hearing Jesus speak about prayer. And so we're going to focus on what he said about prayer. Let's start in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And here's what Jesus says. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who's in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. From these verses, I want to point out four characteristics of authentic prayer. The first one is this. Authentic prayer is vertical, not horizontal. It's pretty common sense, right? But let's look again at verse 5. He says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. That's why they're doing it, right? Jesus says, Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. Like, the fact that they were seen and heard by others, that's the reward. And so let's unpack this for a moment here. Notice Jesus said, when you pray. He doesn't say, if you pray. It is a common sense understanding expectation that those who follow Christ are people of prayer. It's when you pray, not if you pray. But when praying, do not be like the hypocrites. Now the hypocrites, uh, this originally referred to a, a Greek word that means a play actor. That the people that were hypocrites were playing a part. They were playing a role that they wanted others to affirm and approve of. And so Jesus is directing his comment to contrast and to criticize the self-righteous and legalistic religious leaders of the time. 
most notably the Pharisees, who loved doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. You know you can get sucked into hypocrisy really fast when you're trying to do the right things for the wrong reasons. And so they were trying to pray, right thing, to be noticed by others, wrong reasons. And so the motive of the hypocrites to look good, to impress others, it's spiritual image management. And these religious leaders apparently would stand and pray in such a way in the gatherings of the synagogues or on the street corners that was probably loud and demonstrative and very articulate just so that they could look holy, look spiritual. And when all the other people would give notice of their unique and spiritual prayer lives, Jesus is saying, that's the reward. That's all they get from that kind of prayer. It was horizontal, not vertical in nature. They weren't necessarily praying to the people around them, but they were praying in such a way that it was for the people around them to draw attention to themselves. And so these hypocritical prayers are not heard by God. They're just seen by men. This is a common fault in public prayer today. When people pray with the conscious or subconscious agenda to impress others, or sometimes to spread gossip when they pray. You've all been probably in one of those gatherings, right? Oh, Father, right now I just pray for our sister, Martha. Just, just help her with her temptations and all those things. Like, oh, that's just gossip. It's sideways. You're not actually talking to God, right? Um, or you start to use words that you don't normally use. Oh, Father, who I beseech today on behalf. Like, we don't talk like that, right? If you do, good for you. But, like, that's not normal. Like, what are we doing in that moment? Just try and press others. It's really a horizontal experience. It's not a vertical experience. And so Jesus said that those who pray this way, the only reward and recognition they receive for that kind of prayer is the very attention they get from the people who notice. There's no value. There's no benefit in that kind of horizontal focused prayer. And so if we want to have authentic prayers, we can't be concerned about what the other people around us are thinking when we pray. We can't get consciously or subconsciously caught into like, what do I sound like? You know, do I, do I look like a fool, sound like a fool? Does it matter? Like, in order to push through and to grow in our prayer life, we have to come to God with this yearning, this longing, this desire, this desperation that I don't give a rip what you think. I want to talk to God. I need to lay my heart before God. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to thank Him. I'm going to confess to Him. I'm going to intercede on the behalf of others. I'm going to approach the throne of God with confidence and zeal because I have an all-powerful God, the Heavenly Father, who's made me to connect with Him. And I'm going to unload all this, and I'm not going to do anything for your benefit. And I'm talking to some of you, and you know who you are, that when you're in a prayer gathering, you're silent because you're afraid of what others are going to think. At that moment, you slipped into the horizontal realm, and it's not vertical anymore. And God made us as a community. There is something uniquely powerful that when brothers and sisters in Christ come together and unite themselves in prayer and agree in prayer together and go before the throne together, it unlocks a power that cannot be accessed any other way. 
And the reason that you or your family or this church body has not experienced certain levels of power or blessing our faith is because we've been silenced in prayer or we're too preoccupied with what others think. Am I off target? You know why I know that so well? Because I struggle with it too. You've got to push through. Prayer's vertical. It's not horizontal. Don't let your fears shut you up. Well, I've never prayed in public before. Great, let this be the first time. I love, one time we were in a prayer gathering. <laughs> it was funny and beautiful all at the same time. This woman just said, Father, I'm a first-time caller. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so pure and genuine and authentic. So for some of you, maybe this year is the first year that you go, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to really step out there. I'm going to start to pray more when I'm with my brothers and sisters. I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to be quiet. There's a time for that, by the way. But you, you know what I'm talking about. And so authentic prayer is vertical, not horizontal. So what's one adjustment you can make in your prayer life to make sure you are more concerned about what God is hearing and thinking than what others are hearing and thinking? Take that step. Authentic prayer is vertical, Toward God, God-focused, not horizontal for people or people-focused. Second characteristic we see here is that prayer, authentic prayer, is more private than public. Look at verse 6 again. Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, all the introverts and all the proponents of private prayer just went, aha, I'm off the hook. Not so fast. Because when you study the Bible, Jesus is not condemning public prayer. And when you study the life and ministry of Jesus, when you study the scriptures, you see both. You see public prayers. You see masses of people coming to God together in prayer and worship. You see Jesus where he's with the masses teaching in prayer. But you also see Jesus retreating away by himself to be with the Father. You see other moments in Scripture where men and women of the faith retreated back or were in isolation and prayed. It's both. The problem is, if you only pray in public and you never pray in private, what's that say about your prayer life? And if you only pray in private but never pray in public, what's that say about your prayer life? But I think what we're seeing here is that there's a greater weight, there's a greater authenticity about what happens in the secret, right? There are certain prayers we, have, we should not be praying in the presence of others. There are certain confessions there's certain things that we need to say to God that we don't need an audience for. And if you do need an audience, then there's something else going on in your heart. And so there's certain prayers where we're like, I just need to get alone with God and pour out your heart. Some of you know what that's like. You've been on your face. You've been on your knees. You've had that just gut-level, raw emotion pouring out of you before God because you were hurt. You were sad. You were in pain. You were confused. You were mad at God. Or you were so blown away by his goodness that you just couldn't stand it anymore. And you just had to, just in tears, weep before him because of how good he is to us. There's a private nature to prayer. And this prayer, this authentic prayer, has a lot more private than public. And what Jesus says here, it says, um, go into your room and shut the door. Now at the time, when you think about the homes and the structures of the audience, most of them would have lived in very simple homes, maybe a couple rooms. Very rarely did they actually have a closet. 
but sometimes there would be a small space that would be either for treasure, which by the way is kind of a nice little nuance of like there's treasure in the closet. If you go into the closet to be with the Father, there's certain treasures there that you're not going to get in the other rooms. But sometimes that closet was just a storage space, but, but not very many people had those. And in the Hebrew mind, a lot of people, when they heard this, would have thought about a specific practice uh, that involved the talit, okay? Uh, the talit is a prayer shawl. Some of you have seen these before. This is half a talit, all right? And so uh, you'll see faithful Jews will wear their talit, uh, typically the men, and it's a prayer shawl. And what happens is, and talit, by the way, uh, the Hebrew tal means little, and leith means tent. It's little tent. And even today, especially if you go like to the Western Wall or in other areas in Israel, uh, they will put the talit above their head like this, right? And then for special prayer, guess what they do? They close the door. <laughs> and it creates a private space. Because there's not a lot of places to go to be by yourself when there's a crowd, right? And so even to this day, you'll see uh, faithful Orthodox Jews and Protestant Jews have uh, their talit. And, and, and then you'll a lot of times see them rocking like this, right? Okay. And what's happening is, what are, they, what are they doing in that moment? Anybody want to guess? Praying. They're praying. And so, where do you go for this private moment to be with the Lord? Now, I'm not saying you have to go out and buy a talit and start to do that. I mean, hey, if that helps you. There's been times I've done that, honestly, just because just it's different. Just kind of throw that in the mix every now and then. Because um, it, it's, it's done something to activate a different approach to God. But where's your closet? Where's your little space? Where's your dedicated area to be alone with the Father? Uh, a lot of you know about John Wesley, famous theologian and uh, pastor. Uh, they said about his mother, who had many children, that sometimes she would just put her apron over her head. I think she had like 12 kids. And all the kids knew that when she sat in the chair with the apron over her head, that was her prayer time, leave mom alone. Well, if that turns out types like John Wesley, then you know what, all you mamas, get your aprons, right? But the bottom line is, somehow, some way, we've got to fight for the private. We've got to fight for the still place, the quiet place. For me, I've got a particular chair in a particular room that early in the morning before my family's up, that's a quiet spot. Sometimes my car is that quiet spot. I'll park somewhere, especially in, around a beautiful space. Sometimes I'll take a little hike and I'll just walk and talk with the Lord. Um, there's a special chair out in the backyard that when it's not raining in 40 degrees that I love to go sit and just there's something for me that when I see the sky and I see the mountains and I see critters, I'm just like, God is awesome. When you see sunsets like you saw last night, you just go, God is just showing off again. Where are those private, sacred, special moments and spots in your life where you can engage in private prayer? And it says something here, and the Father who sees you in secret, because God sees us wherever we're at, but especially in secret, will reward you. Well, we don't know what kind of rewards those are. We don't know exactly what that is. Uh, we know that's eternal blessings, but we know that that also can involve earthly blessings. And so authentic prayer is not just vertical, not horizontal. It's also more private than it is public. So what can you change starting today to get more private time with God? Third characteristic Authentic prayer is also mindful, not mechanical. Look at verse 7. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus referencing Gentiles here is not just a reference to non-Jews, but specifically those in pagan practices. And what you would see most common in pagan practices is that these people would have mantras, chants, um, other phrases that they would repeat loudly, hoping to wake up their pagan deities to get their attention. The louder we are, the more we say it, the better our odds of our gods, little g, will hear us and see us. And Jesus is saying, those people over there, the unbelievers, think they're going to be heard by basically someone who doesn't exist because of all the phrases that they're heaping up and repeating loudly. He says, don't be like those people. He says, they think they're going to be heard for their many words. So Jesus is saying, man, don't get stuck in automated autopilot prayers, which is really interesting because as we go through the next verses and the weeks to come, what some have called the Lord's Prayer, guess what's one of the most memorized spoken prayers? There's a little interesting irony there if you really follow that, that some people, the only prayer they pray is the Lord's Prayer, and that's it. That itself can become an automated prayer. Now, it's a beautiful prayer. It's a model prayer. We should pray that prayer, but if that's all that you pray, Man, sounds like repetitive phrases hoping to be heard. Where's the personality? Where's the personal touch? And so we can't just come to God with repetitive, memorized phrases all the time. He hears them. He hears your heart. But if we're just relying on some rote, memorized words that, or phrase that we're regurgitating, how much power is going to be in that prayer? Now, Jesus uh, repeated some prayers. In Matthew 26, 44, uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So Jesus isn't saying you never say the same words. Jesus prayed for hours at a time, like when he went on a mountainside to select the 12 disciples. He was up there for a long time. So Jesus isn't against praying for a long time or repeating the same words. Um, he taught us to be persistent in prayer, right? The parable of uh, the persistent widow in Luke 18 so Jesus isn't against those things, but you don't just do those things. Just pray the same phrases over and over and over again, loudly, hoping to be heard. God does not need us to repeat phrases over and over. He understands the first time. He gets it with what we say the first time and with limited words even before we speak. Uh, renowned theologian Charles Spurgeon said this on prayer. Some brethren pray by the yard, but true prayer is measured by weight not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. <laughs> That's a good word. Some of you have groaned that groan, especially with pain in your life or heartbreak over loved ones and where they're at. So when we think of God and His majesty, His glory, His power, His righteousness, His ways, we can take the counsel that we see in Ecclesiastes 5.2 which says, God is in heaven, and you on earth, therefore let your words be, what? Few. There's a dynamic at play there. We don't have to bludgeon God to death with words to be heard. He hears. And as we're about to see, he hears even before we speak. So what's one adjustment you can make in your prayer life? Two, remove yourself from recited, memorized phrases that are autopilot to real-time conversations with God. And the fourth and last characteristics I think we can pull 
about authentic prayer from this text is this. Authentic prayer is about connection, not just communication. Uh, We have often heard that prayer is communication with God. It's true. But can you communicate with people and actually not feel close to them? Absolutely. Can you have great communication skills with people but actually have a shallow relationship? Yes. And so we know it's not just communication. I think God gave us prayer specifically for connection. Look at verse 8. Again, referring to those who are unbelievers, who are uh, depending on repeated phrases. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, Christians aren't the only people who pray, right? Most religions include some kind of prayer or effort to communicate with deity, spirits, ancestors, angels, maybe through meditations or chants or a form of prayer which typically might be uh, inwardly focused. But we're not to be like them and to heap up those kind of empty phrases. Instead, we're come to God in confidence, in trust, in relationship to connect as a beloved child to our Heavenly Father. He knows what we need before we ask Him. God does not need to be informed of how we feel or what we did or what we desire or what we hope for. He doesn't need to be informed about what our needs are or the burdens we carry or the praises we have on our lips or the sins we need to confess. He knows. He knows. Psalm 139.4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So we don't pray to tell God things he doesn't know. We pray to commune or to connect with God and to appeal to a loving father who loves to hear from his children. All of you who are parents, especially parents of young adults or adults, still love to hear from your kids. When you still get a text or phone call from your children, it still is a a joy to your heart. Where do you think we got that? we can confidently believe that it brings joy to God's heart to still hear from his children. Now, if God knows everything, this is a question that comes out of this a lot of times, if God knows everything, including the outcomes of what we pray for, why pray? Right? How many of you are thinking that? (laughs) Some of you are like, "Ah, why does I pray? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few weeks, but for now, here's just a few quick hits. Uh, God commands us to pray, so prayer is an act of obedience. Uh, We see how prayers can change an outcome. There are a lot of times when we pray for an outcome and that outcome comes. Prayer changes us, even if the outcome doesn't change. There are times that God answers the prayer with a no, or a not now, or a not like you think. But there's something about praying and coming for God that changes us, shapes us, grows us, that still has fruit in our life. Uh, You won't receive all that you pray for, but you receive nothing if you don't pray at all. And so there's still value in prayer, even if we don't get all that we hope for. Another reason that we pray, even if God already knows the outcome, is that God uses our prayers and His plans. God uses our prayers and His will and His providence. It's a mystery. We don't know how it works, but God's invited us into this um, shared reality that involves our prayerfulness. And the outcome is to be determined, but somehow God uses our prayers in His will and in His providence. It's a mystery. God didn't give us all the answers. It's still mysterious, but it's all about connection, not just communication. 
So what's one adjustment you can make in your prayer life to cultivate a greater connection with God? Now, for some of you that might be online or in this room, that's your starting point. You might be here today or watching online recognizing that this talk about a relationship with God is foreign to you because you don't have that. And basically what you're experiencing is that you know inside there's something drawing you like a gravitational pull to God. That's why you're in church. That's why you took that invitation. That's why you logged on online. But there's something that feels broken or off, and you're right. It's called sin. That sin, that rebellion of doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thing, not doing the right thing, that is a barrier between us and God. And God knew that we could not remove that barrier on our own through good works or going to church or any sort of spiritual activity. So he brought down the barrier himself through coming, this is what we just celebrated, right, the incarnation, the coming of himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sin, was buried and rose on the third day, proving that he was God, conquering death, conquering sin. And then God invites you to believe, to say yes to him, and to enter into that relationship where then your prayer lives become part of an actual relationship, not just a Hail Mary, hoping like if someone's up there, I hope this works. It flows out of relationship. And if you don't have that relationship, we want to help you get into that relationship with Jesus. And, and really, um, it's as simple as this. It's not easy, but it's simple. You just admit that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. And you commit your life to following him. That's it. It's that simple. But you have to yield. You have to bow. You have to come to that place of surrender and repentance. And so if that's something you're going to do today, you just tell the Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And I commit my life to following him. And if you do that, please find uh, one of us up front after the service right here to my left. We're there to help you take your next steps. You can also fill out a card that's in front of you and drop it in the box if you have to leave quickly to say, I want to give my life to Christ or I'm giving my life to Christ. Or fill that card out or bring it up to us and we'll help you take those next steps of growth. And then your prayer life will come online in a very, very different way. So all of that to say, authentic prayer is concerned more with God than people. And so as you reflect on what you just heard, um, you know, today we talked about the why pray. We're going to move into more about the how to pray in the weeks to come. Um, which one of those four areas you heard today do you maybe need to grow in most? Like what, what one of those categories is probably like right on target for you? Is vertical, not horizontal? More private than public? Mindful, not mechanical? Connection, not just communication? I'm just going to invite you just to take a moment. We just pray. I just want to give you a moment. We're going to stop talking about God, talk to God. Would you just confess, thank, ask what you need to from God right now in this moment? Let's just pray. Just talk to the Lord. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. We have a God who loves us. He loves to be with us, 
spend time with us, hear from us, connect with us. And so let's all take one big giant step forward this year to engage that type of connection with the Father at a greater level. And so if, if, you, if you need Christ, or if you need someone to pray with you, right after the service, we'll have some prayer partners and some response team people available from here. Again, invite you to jump into the 21 days of breakthrough prayer starting today, Bible reading plan, and come back tonight, 6.30. We're going to be in this room and just create some extra space just to connect with the Father. So God bless you guys. Again, Happy New Year. See a bunch of you tonight, and we'll see you next week as well. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.